Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. If you buy it today, you pick it up today. They offer 20 Sherwin-Williams colors to choose from, and a 40-year warranty. Baker Metal and Dixie Supply, two names, same great service. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, they now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metal Works, your metal roofing headquarters. And also brought to you by Alabama Farmers Co-op. From backyard gardening to large-scale farming and everything in between, your local co-op has what you need to be successful. Since 1936, Alabama Farmers Cooperative has provided high-quality products and friendly service to community members and local farmers. With over 60 locations to serve you and 85 years of experience, you can count on the co-op. For more information and to find a location near you, visit www.alafarm.com. I'm your host, Joe Byer, here today with my co-host, Butch Theory. And Butch, you know, this is the time of the year for tractors and tree stands. It's definitely time. We're yeah. late, really. I was up at my place getting done what I could get done. I got a couple more trips planned to go back up. How are you doing up at your up at your spot? Yeah, man. Late and behind the gun, as it seems like I am every year. Um, been trying to get up there the past couple weekends, had some tractor trouble. I was able to get up there and, you know, put some feeding feeders and things like that, but uh, I couldn't get done what I needed to get done. Uh, I need to bush hog my bow fields um, or at least get them cut somehow <laughs> with something. Right. Like I said, tractors broke. I was I was able to get up last weekend, but I would have been up there by myself. And uh, I just opted to go the safe route, you know, punt to another weekend to where it was safe, where I could have a little bit of help. Yeah, you and I talk about it a lot, but that's a good example of what we're going to talk about today is you could have gone, you could have forced it. You probably would have been fine. Probably. But all it takes is something simple happening where if you had two people, it's not even a big deal, really. Right going up there by yourself and something happens you can get yourself in a jam quick one utv one tractor you know you get one stuck what, what are you going to do by well, yourself and onto the safety side of things too it, you know there's a lot of different things that could happen unfortunately i have fallen out of a tree stand another scary thing happened to me this summer and that my four-year-old son got bit by a water moccasin all that kind of stuff can happen you know my my uh we were up at my camp this past weekend working on a shooting house and it was hot and and uh my brother he was over there looking a little rough and i said man why don't you go take a break and he got overheated you know i mean he was kind of having those beginning stages of a of heat exhaustion and oh yeah i've been there all that stuff can happen and and, you know, you being over there, up there by yourself, it, it can take something that would just be a bad day and, and turn it into a life-threatening situation. And, and it's no different when it comes to tree stands. It seems like every time we go to the camp, we forget something. We're, we're in a hurry, you know, which, which we've got too many things planned to get done yep. for, for one weekend. And, and you, can't we're just, it, you can't get it all done. Yeah, you know, and we're just not going to be satisfied unless we cross everything off the list. And, you know, I just, the point of the show today is really to give everybody that's out there hanging tree stands, doing that, doing that kind of work, a checklist of things that you need to think about when you're getting ready for this season so that you can, number one, stay safe. And, and number two, just have, have a good, successful, comfortable hunt. To do that, we're talking with Cameron Miller at Millennium Tree Stands. 
All right. But before we do that today, we're going to be talking about what you can do if you've got equity in your property, how you can use that equity to help you finance some of the improvements you want to make, or maybe even help you finance another piece of property that comes up for sale next door. I would highly recommend you buy the place next door if you can. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, yeah, to, to do that, join us this week. We've got Rachel Holland. Rachel is an ag loan officer over at United Bank. Rachel, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and your role over there at United Bank. Well, thank you very much for the invitation um, th- today. And yes, my name is Rachel Holland. I work with United Bank. I manage the agriculture lending department here. Um, I've been with the bank 16 years. Um, I grew up on a farm, have a farming background, and moved south 16 years ago. So the rest is pretty much history from there. But we do all types of lending. You know, we do farmland loans, timberland loans, pasture land, cattle, equipment, row crop, nurseries, anything agriculture, business, commercial related, we handle through this department. 16 years of doing that. I know you've seen it all, seen probably all the different things people coming in and and asking for. I mean, and things are a lot different now than they were 16 years ago, too. So you've seen a lot of things all around. 16 months ago. Yes, sir. Correct. (laughs) Things are a lot different. One of the things that I've noticed a lot in the field over the last two years is a lot of first time buyers of land, a lot of people getting into it. For the first time for lots of different reasons. You know, the pandemic pushed a lot of the smaller acreage buyers into looking for a, what we would call a large acreage residential and a property. Lot of, and a lot of city folk out yeah. further out in the country get a little more land, yeah, get, get sprawled a, out a little bit. A little bit. more space, starting to see a lot of a lot of people pulling money out of the stock market, yep. you know, getting it into, you know, more tangible uh, investment grade land like timberland and things like that. And the other thing I've seen a lot of, Rachel, is cash buyers. You know, people just just paying cash for land. Most cases, just pulling it out of some other investment, putting it in a land. And and what I'm starting to find out from a lot of people that I've sold land to in the last, like, say, two years or so, is they're going, "All right, I've, I've got this piece of land. I want to do something to it." And that something can be a lot of different things. It can be building a barn. It can be building a camp or a house or putting in roads or food plots. I mean, there's tons of different things you can do. Always something to do. No doubt. So, And it all costs money. Yeah. And one of the experiences I've had recently, Rachel, is it's been hard to get timber cut here recently. Timber prices, number one, they're not doing that great. But on top of that, with fuel prices where they are in in, in our area, where the wet summers we've had last couple of years in a row, a lot of our loggers uh, have got a backlog of landowners that they're working with. And I'm just having a hard time getting timber cut on my property, you know? So like in my own situation, I'm, I've got a road that I'm planning to have put in. And, you know, you start talking about big improvements like that and you're going, all right, well, how, how do I get the money? Do I just pull this out of money I'm making or what are my options there? So that's what I want to really talk about today is, is options for people that have a lot of equity in their property. So kind of starting there, what are you seeing on your end of things, Rachel? Like what are people doing uh, and, and what kind of improvements are they coming to you guys to get finance to make? Yes, sir. We are seeing that. We have customers that come in and it may be that they want to use equity in their land to buy investment property to build a barn. Um, you know, through the ag department here at United Bank, you know, we primarily handle all business purpose loans. So as long as it's ag related business, commercial, you know, it ha- it's handled through here. And as long as the purpose for using the equity in the land is for that, then we can help them. You know, we 
We've done constructions of barns, like you said, making improvements to the land. If you And we've done short-term loans to help customers if they want to go ahead and make improvements now, but then cut the timber later when they can and pay the loan off. We've done that. We try to have all different types of options and be competitive to help the customer do what they're asking to do, especially if they're going through the same thing you are with having issues, having the timber even harvested. You know, right. we've done, like I said, we, we have done short-term loans. It, it's all driven by what the, what the end result is of what the customer is wanting for the Yeah. Property. So there's a lot of different reasons that people may be wanting to borrow and yeah. a lot of different products that are available depending on what their, their end game is here. Do you have to completely own the property to get a a land equity loan in a sense? You know, like, do you have to own that property free and clear, no debt? Or do you just have, a, have to have enough equity to, say, maintain some type of loan to value ratio? Yes, it's rare that we go in and take an equity position behind another bank. Now, we will take an equity position behind ourselves. You know, if we have done the purchase of the property and then they come back and say, hey, we want an equity, you know, an equity loan then yes, United Bank will do a second mortgage behind ourselves. But no, I mean, it's we're it's rare that we would do that to pay, you know, to be behind another financial institution. Now, I have also paid off financial institutions, provided equity. Um, it's like a line of credit. You know, the first draw is to pay off the purchase of the property and the remaining funds are used to make the improvements. And then we put it on a permanent financing at that point. And that's all driven by a loan to value, you know, based off the appraisal of the property. And if you're making improvements, you know, you can provide that information to the appraiser and they can give you a value, including improvements. And then that's what our loan to value is based off of. So there are lots of options. Yeah, that that makes sense. And, you know, thinking too, a lot of times this is something I've seen is that people buying land for the first time, they're, they're excited and then they get their land and they realize, you know what, I like this so much, I'd like to have a little bit more. And then the neighbor's place comes available. Gotta have it. yeah, I mean, immediately. And it's like, well, dang, I just bought this, but here's this other place I sure would like to have it. It, it. And you know how land is. I mean, your neighbor may not be selling for the next 30 years. So if ever, you, it's a one time in a life opportunity. You get the chance to buy it. You want to buy it. Are you able to use, you know, le- equity that you've got in your land to then purchase that that neighboring property or a property similar to it, as long as it's like you mentioned earlier, that investment grade, you know, it's for business purposes? Yes, sir. We do. So you talked about these different types of products and what's available. Take me through what's possible in terms of links of loans and you know the, the type of interests on those two. You know, I mean, are these are these mortgages or are they more like simple interest? Yes, I mean they are mortgage loans, and we can go up to twenty years. You know, I even have a thirty-year fixed rate option as well. We have a program where we can offer 30 years fixed rate. You know, the rates right now with rising rate, with the rising rate environment, the rates are a little higher on that longer term fixed rate. So a lot of the customers are looking at something more of on a shorter fixed rate scale, thinking hopefully rates will drop and then they can refinance it at that point at something maybe lower. But, you know, normal length of the loan on land loans through us is 20 years, but the rate normally is not fixed for that long just depending on what the purpose is and kind of what the the customer wants to do with the property in the future. You know, if they plan on selling it or or either purchasing the property next to it or using some other piece or wanting to purchase another piece of collateral, you know, of property, then they can use that as collateral. It's all it's really just primarily all driven by what the customer wants to do with the land. You know, we were talking about all the different reasons why you'd want to 
possibly borrow and different things you want to do. And I think of new stuff every day I want to do on, on my property. But, you know, and, and I've got some experience uh, with home equity loans. A lot of times if you go and you, you're borrowing against your primary residence, bank's not really asking you much about what you're planning to do with that loan. You can go kind of use it however you want to use it in a lot of cases. What's not allowed if, when it comes to land? We talked about all the things that are allowed and the business purposes and making improvements to that property, but what wouldn't qualify? If you come to us and ask him for equity um, to do a loan using equity on your real estate, you know, as long as the purpose for the use of the funds is business purpose, we can, we can help you here. Now, if, they, if a customer wants to use it for other personal reasons, you know, to build a primary residence, to build a barn dominium where they're going to live there, then that's personal reasons or uses of the funds would go through more of our residential lending department because that's a whole, you know, it's more consumer um, related loan than it would be a business transaction. So it, like I said, it's driven by the the use of the funds. As long as it's being used from a business and commercial standpoint, um, then they can go through our department. That definitely makes sense. A lot of landowners do like to make money on their land, and it is a business as far as raising timber or growing timber and mm-hmm. things like that. If you were improving a road or you know, making improvements on your land, that would be for a business. Is, is that correct? Yes, sir. That's correct. So I think we got a pretty good idea of what's possible. Sounds like really, you know, just about anything could work, even even if it's not through your department. I mean, they may be able to work something out on the residential side. I mean, having equity is going to give you a lot of options. But what's the necessary documentation and, and what kind of timeline are you going to need if you want to do something like this? And the, the timeline to me is is probably more important than documentation. I would I would imagine that that's pretty straightforward. But, you know, thinking about making improvements to a property, a lot of times we're we're wanting to get something done, say before hunting season, or we're wanting to get something done. Right. When do we need to start thinking about you know, it? We want to get it done. Once we decide we, we want to do it, we want to get it done. And um, how long is it going to take somebody to get a loan and put that money to use? You know, before, like you said, everything's changed even after, you know, 16 months. Before then, we could probably get loans done within less than 30 days. Now, just with the environment that we're in, it takes anywhere between 45 to 60 days. I've had, I have been able to get things done less than that. It all depends on the appraisers and when they can do it and how fast they can get it done. You know, and, and as long as I have as much information um, from the customer up front, always helps. If they're wanting to make improvements and they have the quotes ready to provide and I can send that with my appraisal request and they have it all up front, then they can give me, you know, a pretty good idea from a time frame. But with, the economy the way it's been because we've dealt with COVID, the time, timing has just taken longer. And a lot of it has been driven by, you know, just appraisers and title companies and things have just been backed up because it's been so busy and slammed, uh, you know, over the last couple of years. So, like I said, as long as I have good information up front and the customer has an idea when they come in, they know exactly what they want to do, have an estimate of what cost is, and they can hand all of that information that day, then I can get it done pretty quickly. I can move pretty fast. But if they're really just not sure and it may take them a little time to get all that information to me, then it may take a couple of months. Yeah. So, so- if they're thinking about doing it before hunting season, they may want to come talk to me now. Well, and I'm glad you bring I'm I'm glad you said that because one of the things that I've experienced just in like we said in the last 18 to 24 months, I've watched a lot of buyers miss out 
on really their dream property. Didn't have their ducks in a row. Because they did, they had to put a financing contingency right. into their offer where another person that wanted the property did not. And was ready to roll. Inventory has been so low that mm-hmm. when a property that is in a desirable location, has desirable attributes and is priced accurately hits the market, there's a bunch of people looking for that. And yep. I've had a lot of multiple offer situations uh, in the last two years, which historically is not that common in land brokerage but a lot of multiple offer situations. And I've seen a lot of landowners take a lower offer cash with no contingencies over a little bit higher offer with financing contingencies and things of that nature. And so having your ducks in a row is important. And when it comes to using like equity, like I'm I'm thinking about my place, if the property next door to me became available, I would want to buy it immediately I uh, wouldn't want to have to put a, any contingencies in the offer if I didn't really need them. Can someone get pre-qualified? Like, can someone come in and say, hey, look, I own this land free and clear. I want to go ahead and set up some type of equity loan or, or a line of credit even to have available when I need it, but I'm not planning on using it. Is that something that makes any sense to do? Or is there a way to get kind of pre-qualified so that they can make that offer with the full confidence that they're going to be able to get the money? Oh, yes, sir. Absolutely. They can do it both ways. I mean, we can pre-qualify them. You know, I've had customers call me and say, hey, I'm looking at purchasing property. You know, I, I, I want to just be pre-qualified so I can know what I can purchase. So we go ahead and obtain the information that we need. We go ahead and work on our approval side and have them a pre-qualification letter. That means they are approved for a certain amount, up to a certain amount. The only thing at that point we would need is a contract and then we order appraisal and title work. And if, so that's on the pre-qualification side. And then if they come to us and say, hey, I want a line of credit, but I may not use it, you know, but if something comes available, I want to be at, you know, have access to cash. Yes. I mean, we do that as well. Now, there are fees and costs involved when you do that, and you're going to have to pay for those up front. But, you know, if it's worth your time to do that and go ahead and have it set, and that way you can offer, I mean, it is technically a cash offer at that point. You have the money to purchase the property. And I have experience, you know, depending on loan size, I mean, I'd have helped a customer use equity to go purchase a piece of investment property, and he did it as a cash offer and came to me and says, hey, I just want equity out of my land. And I did it pretty quickly because it was, you know, like I say, it's really driven by loan size on how fast you can probably get it done. And I was able to get it done for him within like a three-week period. But it was easier because I already had the land as collateral. I already had title work and appraisals that I had on file. So all I had to do was update it. Right. And it, you can get it done a lot faster that way. And it works it worked for that particular customer. Yeah. Um, you know, not every case is, is that easy, but there are cases that are, and there's lots of options. And we do try to be, you know, provide lots of options and be competitive and, you know, provide the best customer service we can to help the customer at the end of the day buy his dreamland. Yeah. I mean, like you said, if you know this is a product or you know you, you've got Even equity, a possibility, you yeah, might as well go ahead and you get it. You might as well go ahead and get, absolutely it, taken get, it, care of. get it taken care of. And because you're going to pay. Like you, you said, know, man, you never setup. know. Yeah. I mean, whatever origination fees you're going to pay, you're going to pay them now, you're going to pay them later. That's correct. Having that money accessible makes you so much more competitive as a buyer. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a great idea to go ahead and do if you think that you want to set it up. So, Rachel, thanks for joining us and kind of 
you know, cueing us in on, uh, on everything land equity loans. And uh, if, if folks want to reach out to you there at United Bank or, or, or check out a branch, um, really just get more information on different types of loans you guys offer, what's the best way to reach out to you? The best way is to go to our website, you know, um, unitedbank.com, and they we have a list of lenders, you know, agricultural lenders that have contact information there. They're welcome to email us, call us. You know, if they're in our market area, then which is northwest Florida, southwest Alabama, then they're welcome to call, you know, welcome to go to any branch and they can reach out to us. And a lot of we know a lot of realtors in our area. And they know that we do land financing and I get a lot of referrals that way too. So there's lots of ways to get in touch with us. Um, but probably the best and easiest is through our website. Well, Rachel, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we've enjoyed it and uh, we'll look forward to talking land financing with you in the future. Okay. Thank you very much. But, you know, talking about this with Rachel, but also sharing my experience from the last two years, I need to take some of my own medicine on this one. If a place next door to me pops up, I want to be able to purchase it, you know, and I don't want to miss out. That would, that would break my heart if I missed out on the, on the place next door, just because really of formalities. Right. And cause you didn't plan a little bit ahead. Yeah. Especially I mean, if I, you knew the option was out there. Yeah. I could go, you know, get this done and have it there. If I use it. Sounds like you could get it done pretty quick too. If you have your ducks in a row. Sure. Yeah. And just, but just have it there available just like cash. And if I don't use it, it's not like I'm not paying interest on it while I'm not using it. And, but it's there, it's accessible. And that's a pretty good use case for if you've got equity and property. Yeah. I mean, how bad would you beat yourself up? And and we have good neighbors too, but how bad would it stink to get in there? You know, a lot of piece of property come available and you get somebody in there that kills everything <laughs> or rip roars on ATVs all the time. You'd be going, golly, all right. should have done it. I yeah. should have listened to Rachel. Yeah. I should have, yeah. Should have done, should have done what I, I knew I should have done yep. when I could have done it. Yeah. And yeah, that's the reality, man. I've, I've, I've watched a lot of people miss out on properties just because of really just formalities. I mean, they probably would have gotten approved for financing and they probably would have all the things that they were wanting to make contingent probably would have worked out. But that landowner, that seller is going, do I really care about a few extra thousand dollars or when uh, there's all these possibilities for this contract not to work out? Do I want to tie my property up for the next 30 to 60 days when it might not work out in the environment that we're in, which is you may see rates go up quite a bit in 30 days. You know, sure. I mean, we've seen it happen already right. and they're going, no, I'm going to take the bird in the hand and yeah. I might not get quite as much money, but it's, but it's still it's made a, a sure great investment. Yeah. And, and they've got something they're wanting to use that money for, you know, because they've got a thing they're wanting to go do. Maybe, maybe they're doing a reverse 1031 exchange and they're on the time clock too. Right. Got to get it. So yeah, I mean, getting it done, but then, you know, also, I mean, like, gosh, I, I can think of 10 projects right now that are $10,000 plus oh, projects. Easily. I got um, a barn that's falling in on our brand new tractor. Yeah. Somebody hit it. Yeah. No, no, it wasn't me. Who was that? Not, not me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mean, there's... And that's going to have to come. I mean, you're going to have to... And yeah, that's going to be a big check if you don't have your ducks in a row. I it's mean... It's going to be a big check. And you don't want to have to... There's two things. One, you don't want to have to wait until the conditions are right for you to get your timber out to build your barn because right. you need it now. You can't get timber cut right now. But you also don't want to have to cut timber... Just, just to do an improvement to on do property. an improvement because maybe the maybe the market's not right Absolutely. maybe it's not the right time for that piece of timber. maybe you just don't want to cut it right you don't 
feel like having that. Don't have to. Yeah. So, you know, this is just giving you that flexibility uh, to be able to do that. And uh, Well, you don't want to halfway do it either. You know, if you need a new barn, I'd like to build a super nice with, you know, roll down doors and something that's probably not climate controlled. That seems a little extra, but you know what I mean? Something that could, that more rats don't get in my UTV and chew it and set it on fire. Yeah. at, At least do it right. Like you say, I mean, how many times have you gone the cheap route? and ended up regretting it because the money you spent on the cheap thing is completely wasted. And now you're going, all right, I'm getting the good one now. So you end up spending more than you would have if you had just done it right the first time. All this leads back to going ahead and having the money accessible for whatever you may need, whatever you may need when you need it, not having to be on scrambling basically. Yeah. And and really working off somebody else's schedule rather than your own. Agreed, man. It was a good show. Rachel did a great job. She really broke it down. I think the listeners are going to get great education out of this one. Yeah. And I think if you've got a special case that you're not sure about, you give them a shout. Yeah. Reach out, you know, like you were talking about with the use case. I mean, you think about our properties, you've got timber, our, our properties are timberlands. Yeah. They are, they are there for the production of timber. That is the commercial use. Yes, we do get enjoyment out of hunting on those properties, but if you put in a road, and improve the access to that property. It's there to help you get timber out. It's yeah. it's a it's got a commercial use. Maybe a swimming pool doesn't quite fit into that. Ask Rachel, man. Probably not. <laughs> Sounds pretty nice right now, though. It's right. pretty hot out there. No doubt, man. Get up there planting fields. Might be nice to cool off. Hey, might save you. Hey, well, Fair that's enough. true. You know, I mean, you're out there working in the woods and staying hydrated and staying cool is important. Very important so of it. Maybe it is commercial. I don't know. Give Rachel a shout. She'll tell you <laughs> yes or no on that. Enjoyed it, man. That was a good one. Guys, let's take a quick break and take a minute to check out some of the businesses that keep this show free for you each week. Photonis Defense, Masters of Darkness, is proud to offer the PD Pro line of night vision systems. The PD Pro series is the world's smallest and lightest night vision goggles built around the Fatana 16 millimeter filmless 4G image intensifier tubes and their hybrid filmless 18 millimeter image intensifier tubes. These ultralight, ultra compact night vision systems deliver the cleanest image, best resolution, smallest, most transparent halo, and best overall performance and function of any night vision system available. The PD Pro line consists of the PD Pro M 16 millimeter monocular, the PD Pro B 16 millimeter binocular, and the PD Pro Q panoramic night vision system. Photonis Defense, Masters of Darkness. And also brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for the guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of the guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors Magazine subscription and become a better Southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors Magazine can be found at your local Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, Bass Pro Shops, Academy Sports and Outdoors, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. Folks, let's get into the show today. We are talking with Cameron Miller. He's a national sales manager over at Millennium Hunting. Cameron, tell us a little bit about what you do and uh, a little bit about Millennium. I personally have used Millennium Tree Stands for years and years. I love the seats. They're so dang comfortable. And for a big guy like me, that's important to stay in the stand longer. But tell us a little bit about what you do and a little bit more about Millennium. Well, hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. As far as Millennium Tree Stands goes, you know, they started out in the year 2000. That's pretty much how we got our name with the new Millennium coming in. 
biggest differences in our stance that we see across the board is our seat material. Uh, our Comfort Max seats, they are the best on the market and the most comfortable on the market. And what do you do for Millennium? What's your role there? I am the National Sales Manager for Millennium Tree Stands and Old Man Tree Stands. So I, I see all day-to-day business aspects, marketing, and all of that. So I imagine in that role, you've fielded just about every question somebody could have about tree stands. And really, the focus of today, uh, as a guy who has fallen out of a tree stand before, I like to spend some time every year to focus on tree stand safety and what we need to do when we're getting into preseason like we are here in the South. A lot of folks have already had some hunts under their belt, but you know, I would like to say that I pull all my tree stands out of the woods every year, but I don't. I know that that's the safest practice, but call it laziness, call it convenience. You know, it seems like there's always a laundry list of tasks that have to be done at the camp. And that's like the last thing on my list and I never get around to doing it. So one of the things that I'm big about is inspecting all my tree stands and making sure that everything is safe going into the season. So when you think about that preseason inspection, if you haven't, or even if you have removed your tree stands, what areas do we really need to look at before we get in a tree stand elevated? Well, the main areas that you got to check on, on the hang-on stands, the ladder stands, and all that. One, of course, you always have straps to hold them in the tree, or you may have a chain system. Always check those to make sure there's no fray marks or any cut marks on your straps, chains. Make sure there's no rusted spots on them. Nothing's gone wrong with those. Uh, you also want to check your cables that hold your platform on the hang-on stand. Make sure your coatings are all still good on the cables. Make sure there's no rust on them. There's no slippage from where they've been secured back to each other. Make sure all your nuts and bolts are, are tight on there. Some of the main things that you still got to check on that is your seat. If you've left one out in a barn, if you take it out for the season, and you put it up in your shed or a barn, wherever you store it, make sure a squirrel or a mouse or a rat or something has not got it into your seat material up because they're the, do the most damage to the seats than anything does. You know, you're talking about straps, and is there a recommendation, a general recommendation for when you should replace those straps? I mean, I know, like, if I leave my tree stand out, when I go check it, usually that tree has grown enough that that strap is super tight. I always loosen everything up and retighten it so that it's not got pressure against it. But I also just think about the tree growing and putting pressure on that strap. It's got to be stressing those seams. Is there a recommendation for, for replacing them? There's really no set time frame. Just check it over good. Make sure if you have left it in a tree, if you're not going to take the stand down, at least loosen it because we, we all know trees are going to continue to grow through the off season. That's when they do most of, of their growing. So if it gets too tight and starts stretching, if you get up there where you can't physically move that strap at all, you probably need to loosen it up and redo it or either replace it since it's been stretched out. You know, one of the things that I've done over the years is some of my stands that have straps as as I look at them and I realize, all right, these are these are kind of suspect. I usually go back with a chain, especially if it's a, a stand that I in a spot that I really like and I know is going to produce year after year after year. And you know, I like those chains because like you mentioned, at the end of the season, I can get up there and loosen them a little bit and let that tree grow and then tighten them up going into the season. But if you're going to replace a strap, and I've noticed that some of the tree stands you make have chains and some of the tree stands you make have straps. What would make you choose a chain over 
a ratchet strap? And, and why do y'all offer both options? Well, we, we offer both options on that for two different reasons. One is to be lightweight and more compact, less noise also in the woods when you're hanging them. All of our hang-on stands come with straps except for our M100. It is from day one come with a steel receiver chain on them. So that one has stayed true to truth. That's the way it started. That's the way it's going to continue. The good thing about our stands on our hang-ons is you have the option to do both. You can take and buy the chain or buy the strap. Depending on which stand you get, the receiver that comes with it, you can replace that receiver or have multiple receivers in different trees to be able to move and make different setups with our hang-ons. That's a good option to have, especially if you're, you know, you're budget minded. You want to have one tree stand kind of move it from spot to spot. Like you're talking about having those receivers in, in different locations allows you to save some money, but still keep those sets up uh, in those spots, you know, that, that are going to produce. And, you know, kind of moving off of, uh, of the lock-on discussion for a minute, I was actually helping a friend take down a, a ladder stand recently. And we got the ladder stand. We had lifelines up. We got the ladder stand undone. We were back on the ground and, you know, we, we stayed connected to the tree as we were pulling the ladder stand away from the tree. And it wasn't a millennium and I won't say who it was, but it was not a millennium. As we're pulling the ladder stand away from the tree, the ladder broke in half. The whole ladder stand came, came down, could have hurt somebody, didn't luckily, but what ended up, had ended up happening was inside that ladder, it had rusted. And the weight of that ladder stand platform up above it broke it. And so, you know, just kind of thinking about that, that wasn't easy to see necessarily just from a visual inspection, but thinking about ladder stands, what are the areas there that you need to inspect? Uh, you know, you're talking about cables and talking about straps. I know, I know straps are going to be important regardless of what kind of tree stand you're talking about, but are there other common failure points for ladder stands that we need to think about? Well, only your ladder stands, the most common, like you just Said, said was uh, it's going to be inside the ladder itself. What you have to look for is any on the step rungs, any welds or paint that's come off on each welded part. Make sure there's no crack to it. Make sure there's no swelling to it. If it's swelled up at all, that means, of course, it's already rusted on the inside beyond a point to where it's safe, and it will start bowing itself out. And generally, that's when you see a failure or break in a ladder section is on that part. You always want to check and make sure all your bolts and nuts are all good and snug and tight to make sure there's no looseness in any of that to break any of those bolts. If you see any bad rusted heads on any of the, the uh, bolts, just make sure to go ahead and replace those because that's what's keep, keeping that stand together and keeping it safe for you up there. Great points to consider. I'm, I admittedly am not as safe as I should be in a ladder stand, and I feel like that's very often overlooked to wear a safety harness and to pre-inspect your ladder stands. I mean, you're up in a tree just like you are in a climber or a lock-on. I mean, you have to be safe in those as well. Oh, no doubt. It seems like, Butch, you're, you know, what you're talking about, I don't know what it is, but it's like when you get in a lock-on, or you climb with a climber, you 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 are thinking safety. But I see quite often guys who are wearing their harness and, and using lifelines and using lineman's belts and being super safe with a lock-on and a climbing stand, they'll go jump right up in a ladder stand and not even think about it. Yep, I'm guilty. So, uh, Cameron, I, I know that that's one of the things that a lot of people overlook is those, those ladders. And, and one of the things I've found that can be pretty challenging for with ladder stands and can be one of those areas that can, I would say, be a, an opportunity to have a, a, a problem is actually just putting the ladder stand up in the very first time. I mean, do you have any advice for setting that ladder stand 
to begin with so that somebody can stay connected? Do it safely. Right? And do it safely? No doubt. That's usually when you have most people get hurt, is falling off of it, not attached, or get it set at wrong angles. And the stand won't stay in one spot. It wants to move around the tree side to side. You know, the backside doesn't dig into the bark of the tree at all very well. The easiest thing to do as far as setting up the ladder stand, whether it be a two-man, even a single ladder, one, have two to three people with you. You don't never really want to do this by yourself. That's when somebody can get hurt real quick. Our stands come with our SafeLink rope. You can actually use that rope and tie it to the first rung of your ladder at the top. Run it around the tree. You can have somebody actually pull that rope while somebody helps walk the stand up, and it's 10 times easier and safer to get that stand up the tree. When you start off, you pretty much want the, the base of the ladder probably about anywhere, depending on the terrain, four to six feet away from the base of the tree. So it comes up and is pretty much parallel and going straight and stays level. Anything beyond that, you really need to adjust it and make sure that it's not moving with you. If you get it too high, the ladder wants to bow in. It's not supporting the weight correctly. If you get it unlevel and it's too low on the back end, of the platform, that means when soon as you put weight in it, it's going to want to slide down the tree more. So it buckles the ladder at that point. Just make sure you get everything good and level and seated into the ground and into the tree and then climb up safely and get up there and attach it to it. You know, something else I've used too, and it can be kind of challenging depending on what kind of tree you're putting the ladder stand up in. But one of the things I've I like to do is like you're talking about have two or three guys with you. Everybody can kind of get that ladder up and where it needs to be, kind of get it situated. You can have a couple of guys holding the ladder while one guy's out to the side and he's telling you, all right, it needs to come a little closer to the tree. It needs to back up a little bit and get that platform level. But if you really, really want to be safe, one of the things I'll do is take a set of climbing sticks like you'd use for a lock on and put them on the tree and go ahead and climb up with a lineman's belt, staying attached and, and actually attach the ladder from the back of the tree as opposed to climbing up the ladder and attaching it that way. And that allows me to go ahead and get my lifelines in the tree, get that ladder attached. And one of my rules ever since I've fallen out of a tree stand uh, at 19 is I just don't get disconnected from the ground. That's my rule. You know, if I'm off, if my feet leave the ground, I'm connected to the tree. I feel like I might have a bump and a bruise if I fall, but I'm definitely not going to get hurt and, and not going to get killed, which unfortunately seems to happen every year. Uh, even as much as we talk about it, it still seems to happen. And I'm hoping soon we have a season where we don't have any tree stand accidents and any tree stand fatalities. Thinking about lock-ons, thinking about ladder stands, of course, climbing stands is another consideration. Uh, what do we need to look at with our climbers? I, I do pull my climbers out of the, out of the woods every year, uh, keep those stored. And a lot of those, a lot of the points on a climber can be kind of hidden. So what do we need to inspect with regards to those stands? On the climbers, in my opinion, they should always come out at the season's over. That That's one thing that you're working hard to get up a tree with a top and a bottom piece. You really are taking chances by doing that. It's not being inspected and being safe to go up there. The cables or whatever attaches your climber to the tree always have to be inspected. Make sure everything's good on them. You know, like our old man climbers, they, they have the uh, cable running through the rubber hose and, and got all that stuff connected in there. Make sure everything is in good working order. There again, the nuts and the boat. You need to make sure everything is tight. There's no rust spots. No, nothing can happen 
while you're climbing that tree. Inspect all the contact points with the tree, your teeth that's on the back of those stands. You can actually take in the sharpen those a little bit, make sure they get in and bite on a, on a tree to make sure that you don't have any slippage at all on it. All good points. I never considered sharpening those. That makes sense. Now, you can sharpen the edges on, on those blades. You don't want to do it too much to where you get it pointed. It's not like a knife. You need something that's just rough and thick so it bites into your bark and stuff. And you, you got to remember, you don't want to use a climber, in my opinion, pretty much ever, to be honest, climbing on a slip bark tree. That right there is asking for something to happen. Uh, always make sure you own a rougher bark tree and all. Uh, this all comes into play is allowing you to climb and making that stand stay connected to the tree. You never want anything to come disconnected from it. Speaking of that, I'm glad you mentioned that about trying to avoid those slick bark trees with climbers. I have experienced what you're talking about, slippage, you know, trying to climb some of your harder barked oak trees and things like that. Uh, like I say, I, I do try to stay connected at all times. And that's probably the first thing I think about when I'm going to any tree stand location is, is whatever hunter that comes here going to have a safe connection to the tree. So myself, I'm thinking about putting up a lifeline on, on every stand location, ladder stands included in that. If it's a two person ladder stand, I got to make sure that lifeline's either got, got two prussic knots or I got two lifelines going up. And if it's a, a climbing location, I'm, I'm requiring everybody that's hunting with me to wear, wear safety harness, use lineman, lineman's belts or use their, their tether, you know, with the, from the entire way from the bottom of the tree, all the way to the top and back down and staying connected the whole time. So aside from the safety aspects, Cameron, you've got to have a method to get up in the tree. Obviously, if you got a climbing stand, you're using the stand. If you've got a ladder stand, you're using the ladder, but when it comes to lock-ons, you have different types of options there. You've got, you know, everything from screw-in steps to climbing sticks to even stick ladders, you know, where it's all one unit. And why are there more options there? I mean, obviously, you know, screw-in steps kind of give you some flexibility. I, I think about one stand I've got, it's a big sweet gum tree and, and it's actually a forked tree. The base of the tree is super super wide and you couldn't get a stick a climbing stick around, around it, it you yeah. know i mean we have a lot of those trees too yeah yeah you know as you get up and the trunk split off you you can use it just like any other but specifically the sticks versus those stick ladders why make both where where do they play in well they both have their place in the, in the hunting woods of course you just said the stick ladders all one connected like our m210 it's 20 foot tall it comes in five different sections so when they're connected they're all one solid run to go up to your stand, so you're getting 20 feet at the very top of it. When you come into just a regular sticks or either the, the uh, steps side of all of it, you're talking about pieces that are anywhere from two and a half to three foot long, and they're individual pieces. But the flexibility with those are better than a solid stick. So if you're talking about moving around a limb or you got a big knot in the tree and you need to move over a little bit to climb around and stuff, they allow you for that flexibility. They also allow for if you're a 5'10 person or a 6'5 person, you can spread those steps out and actually get more height and everything out of your, your stick sections. Those right there, and there's different options in material too, like the M240. It's made out of steel or M210 is made out of aluminum. They've, for people that like to be mobile and they want to move around with just a hang-on on their back with a set of aluminum sticks on there and all, they, they like the lighter weight 
to be able to do that with. Somebody that's going to put a, a hang on up and leave it there all year long, hunt the same exact spot without moving. A lot of times they want that solid stick. They climb up it just like a regular ladder. They get to the top, get in their stand, get, get all buckled up, and they're ready to go. Joe, talking about you know having set things on each location, obviously a lifeline for a ladder stand or a lock-on is something that's that we've implemented in the last five years, and we're trying to be more safety conscious. I think that even a ladder stand, I'm kind of telling on myself here, and obviously ladder stands are a chink in my safety armor. Man, I don't think you should ever be climbing with any sort of weapon, you know, whether that be a ladder stand, you know, you get up, you have a, you have your gun over your shoulder or scraped across your shoulders and you got to get up there and kind of finagle it under the rest and kind of shimmy in there. And that just does not seem safe at all. So I feel like every stand should have a, some way to get your, you know, like a gear rope or, you know, tie your backpack and your gun on it at the bottom of the tree stand. Don't you agree? Yeah, and this is the time of year to do it. How many times have you gone out to the tree stand to get your hunt in and, and you get there and you're like, dead gummit, I forgot to put a gear rope on this gear thing. Rope. You know, yep. I've started, I try to keep a gear rope in my pack keep for that my reason. Pack too. Yep, me too. Uh, it's, it's good to have that as a backup. But yeah, I mean, as I'm going around the stands this time of year, I'm looking at them saying, all right, number one is safety. We're there. We got a way to get into the stand. This It's in good working order. Good. Do we have a way to get gear up into the stand? Safely that's super important. And, you know, going back to camera, going back to the, the sticks, climbing sticks versus climbing stick ladders, if that's the right term for them, you, you know, it's funny to hear you talk about differences in height. Cause I can think of, uh, as a kid growing up and, and hunting on hunting leases. And we had a guy who was a great hunter, but he was about six foot seven and skinny as a string bean. And man, he would put his steps so far apart that nobody else in the club could hunt them. You know? maybe, maybe that was intentional. <laughs> oh, it was certainly intentional because his, <laughs> his name was his name was Billy Ray. And uh, I can remember going out. We said you you could walk through the woods, and if you found somebody's tree stand, oh, that's Billy Ray stand. Look at those look at those steps. Look how far apart they are. You, that's funny. Yeah, look like a monkey going up a tree trying to get up those things. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I like the flexibility of those sticks too. Like you were saying, going around a limb, a lot of times um, some of the stands that, that we get into, I, I find it's it's easier to climb up one side of the tree and you almost have to twist around as you get closer to the stand to get in the right position. Um, you, you can't do that with a ladder and I, uh, you can do that with, with sticks and um, kind of have to just match it to your to your location. What about a rest? What What options are out there for getting a stable rest? I hate to even admit this, but as I was Coming into archery hunting, you know, I used to get up in the tree stand and and uh, uh, hold my bow across my lap. And I remember one day I fell asleep and I woke up and startled myself and off the bow went down to the forest floor. And that hadn't, hadn't <laughs> happened, happened to me since because I try to have like a screw in hanger, you know. So that's one of the things I think about is trying to have something there to hold my bow. Uh, but what about for guys that like to hunt with a rifle or hunt with a crossbow? Uh, what do you like to do to get a stable rest in each of your tree stands? Well, right now, of course, the industry's been out there for a long time with the screw-in bow holders, gear holders, stuff like that right there. Everybody, ever since I've grown up, you climb up the stand, you pull your gun up, and you basically lay it across your lap. Crossbows now have come in, and they've changed that a little bit. You pretty much do have to have some type of holder so you don't get fatigued with it and all. For, for bows, when you get them up in the stand, we, we offer an M600 bow holder that fits all of our stands. So it's an easy attachment for a bow right there beside you. Uh, of course, everything else is going to be hung above you and hanging and hanging right down to your left or right side, depending on which way you want it to go. 
Uh, gun to me is a, is a safety rule. I want that thing in my hand. It's laid across my lap just to make sure it's secure me at all times. Definitely good points. The other thing that I'm doing as I'm getting out this time of year, everything we talked about, but I'm also getting in there and starting to clear shooting lanes. How do you like to clear lanes? I'm, I'm always a little bit hesitant to clear them too close to when I'm hunting. I don't want to, I don't want to change things up. I, I, and I, sometimes I feel like I overthink it, but you know, like if I'm going to go hang and hunt, you know, I'm, uh, I'm not too worried about it. Cause I feel like, you know, this is the first day this deer has come through here. It's probably not going to notice much too difference, but when you start to think about clearing your spots out, how early do you like to get in there and get these stands set? Uh, we got a little cool snap coming up next week. Looks like I sure would like to wait until it gets cooler, but do you like to get your stands in and hung and, and settled well in advance of hunting season, or do you think it matters? Well, here in Mississippi, for us, our season starts October 1st. I like to get mine put in early, especially if it's a new stand set up in an area I've never hunted. I want to be in there, to be honest, about a minimum 60 days wow. prior to it, because we're talking probably a lot of work to put that in there, to get trails in there to get everything cleared out and get the stand hung and all. You're going to be making noise. You're going to have scent everywhere. I want to be more than enough time for that area to calm down. Now, when I go to my regular hunt sets and I'm going back to the same trees I've been to before or I've got left stands in the, in the woods and I just need to go back and trim out, you know, shooting lanes or viewing lanes for different stuff, I'm okay with doing that probably 30 days before the actual start of the season. But usually beyond that, I'm not getting up to that our start date. Within two to three weeks, I'm out of there. If anything, hey, I may go put a camera out and check and see what's going on with the area. That's about all I'm going to do to it. That's a good rule of thumb. Yeah, and well, it also is going to get some people off their butts and get out there and get to work. Yeah, you're late if you're a bow hunter, and if you're a rifle hunter, you've got a little bit of time, but you need to get get in there. How much? Get it done. Yeah, it's going to be here before we know it. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. Don't forget about our sponsors and make sure you support them when you're out in the marketplace. Bucks Island Marine. At BucksIsland.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, and bow rider style boats, new and used motors, as well as kayaks. They love trade-ins, which provides a steady stream of used boats, and they can rig your boat at their 18-bay service department or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also brought to you by National Land Realty. If you're in the market to sell your land, check out the fastest-growing, most innovative land brokerage in the country. With the largest online presence in the industry, the bottom line is when you market your land through National Land Realty, the right buyers will know your land is for sale. Contact your Emerald Coast National Land agent. That's me, Joe Baia, at jbaia at nationalland.com or call me at 850-296-7098. Well, like we mentioned earlier, wanted to have you guys on because I feel like y'all's seat system is the most comfortable that I've sat in out of, out of all tree stands. Uh, and I've been in a lot of them and I noticed that you guys make a lot of different options. Of course, you got the old man line on the, uh, on the climbing side. And then, you know, on the millennium side, you've got the lock-ons and the ladders. And even in your lock-ons, you got a lot of different seat options. 
if somebody is kind of thinking about getting a tree stand, how do you guide them on making the right choice? Whether it's somebody that, you know, maybe is like me who kind of hunts the same stands year after year and he, he's got them set and he's a big guy and doesn't move them around a bunch. Or maybe it's a guy on public land who's, or a hunting club who's moving his stands around constantly. What kind of questions do you ask somebody, point them in the right direction? What do you feel is the most important things to consider? First thing I want to do is qualify what their, their needs are. And what I mean by qualify, find out exactly how they want to hunt, kind of where they want to hunt, and make sure we have the best items available to them for any situation that they may get into. So if you're looking at guys that won't hang on stands, we make seven different kinds. We make a steel M25 all the way up to the aluminum series to the big M150 monster. Each guy's different when it comes into, you know, how tall are you, how, how heavy are you, anything like that. If you want to be a mobile hunter, all that stuff needs to come into play in exactly where you're hunting. If you're in mature hardwoods, you can pretty much get a tree uh, stand hung in all different kind of trees in there. If you're in young cutover with young pines and stuff, that changes the base on it of what you can and can't use inside of there. You may have to go with a tripod stand to get you into the woods. Uh, ladder stands, you know, we have four different ones from that. Do you need a single or a double? For the, the granddads out there like me, hey, my little grandson is going to start hunting within the next two years. Now, all of a sudden, I need to put up two-man stands so me and him can go out there and stuff. Just need to make sure exactly what your needs are and where you're hunting and try to match all those up together. That's good advice. I want to take you back to something you were talking about and the fact that you make steel and aluminum stands. Uh, I would think that weight is the main consideration there. Obviously, if you are a run-and-gun style hunter, you, you're carrying your your stand on your back everywhere you go. Going with a lighter weight option like an aluminum option is going to be something that would be advantageous. If you're somebody like me who tends to leave his stands out there, steel's perfectly fine because I'm not taking it down and carrying it around with me. But do you give up anything either direction besides if weights the, you know, we're not talking about weight, but in other regards, are you giving up anything by going to aluminum or going to steel, maybe durability or, or anything along those lines? No, not really, to be honest. The, the durability is about the same. The, the main difference is going to be the weight in the stands. Uh, you're talking about the difference in the size of the platforms. The aluminum stands, you can get a lot bigger platform on it and be a whole lot less weight. You can look at our M150, the Monster. That's, that's my number one selling hang-on stand. It's also my favorite stand to hunt out of. That thing is as comfortable as sitting in a ladder with the biggest platform you could have to move around on up there. But it's not quite the lightest that we offer. For a more mobile guy, our M70 or M60, those come in right around 20 pounds. You can get our M210 sticks to go with it and our M260 stick quiver. Mount all three together, and you have a compact mobile setup that you can take down and set it and set back up in another location within ten minutes, pretty much. And it only weighs about thirty pounds total. Yeah, I'm, and that's something to be thinking about too. Even if you do, if you even if you are like me and you hunt, you know, the same areas every year. Uh, one of the things I've noticed is, you know, I might have say a white oak that that was producing really well last year and i've got a stand may not in be this year. perfect yeah, spot and yeah you go back in there and all of a sudden you're about 50 yards off the mark uh and yeah. you need to move that stand and, and move it now that's definitely a consideration and, and like you said kind of matching up that platform 
if you don't know what tree you're going to be getting in, that's a big consideration too, because a lot of times the bigger stands, you, you got to have just the right tree to do that, as opposed to those smaller platforms, you can kind of wedge them in there and find a spot and just, just about any kind of tree. Mm-hmm. That's another thing I like too, about those smaller stands, even though I'm a, I'm a big guy and I, I would love to have the big seat, and the big platform is, you know, if, if I'm going into an area, I love to h- take those lock-ons and get them up in a cedar tree or up in a pine tree where I've got a bunch of limbs around me and and really the deer don't have a clue you're in the world. And it's hard to do that with a ladder. It's hard to do that with a a really big stand is is wedged up in there just like you want. You were talking about the different uh, models you guys have coming out. Is there anything new for you guys this season? You know, any new products that people ought to know about? Uh, This year on the hunting side for that, we have a brand new solo butt cut, which is our single person shooting house. It's just a cut-down version of our, our butt cut. It's been out for about three years. Uh, other items we've had brand new, uh, four-legged ground blind chairs, the G400. Uh, it's rated up to 300 pounds. That does all your needs for dove hunting, ground blinds, shooting houses. It'll get you covered in all those aspects. You know, that the, the chairs, the ground blind chairs, I've got one of those things. And i tell you what, not only do I go to the ground blind with it, but I come back to camp and I sit around the campfire and it. it's, it's, yeah, that, they're really it's comfortable. that comfortable. I love that thing. Tell me about the buck hut. Now, I know, like you said, y'all have had that model out a few years. You're going, going solo. With, with that stand, is that another one you recommend coming out every year or is it something that can stay out? It can actually stay out. It's all still fresh. And ladder platform legs, everything is all steel, powder coated. The only thing we, we tell you to do is you can take the cover off. Since it's soft-sided, it all unzips. You've got two parts, of the roof and the siding. You can unsnap those and unzip it and take those in and out of the woods with you. That way, limbs, squirrels, birds, whatever, nothing messes or tears up your roof on that. It is by hands down our number one selling stand. And people absolutely love it. Very comfortable. You can take and use our G100, G400 for blind chairs. They'll go up inside of it work. You can get our M369, the revolutionary seat that swings 360 degrees around. All those can be fitted inside of there. It is probably the most versatile stand we have, to be honest. What What's the total weight on, on the buck hut? I spent the better part of a, actually over a day, uh, working on getting a shooting house up <laughs> this past weekend, fighting it and heavy. And, you know, we, we had all kind of contraptions rigged up trying to get this thing where we wanted it. We finally got, got it where we wanted, but it was heavy and it was a three man job. And is the buck hut a good, uh, a good lightweight stand? I mean, is it, is it fairly mobile? Mobile? Not so much, to be honest. I mean, weight only if you're looking about 330 pounds. From the platform to the ground, you're talking about eight foot high. So unless you've got a tractor or something like that to get it and move it around, it's not something you probably want to move around a whole lot. Uh, one, you don't want to bend up all your legs or any of your bracing or anything like that. But it's, it's, as far as getting set up, it's not that heavy at 330. There's a whole lot of stands that's a lot more heavier than that. Uh, and the stands rated up, it'll hold up to 750 pounds. You've got snow load rating on the, the material at 600. So it'll wow. take some abuse. We've had one here set up for three years. It's gone through two tornadoes and I think three high wind storms that's all been over 70 miles an hour. And the wow. cover is still good. That It's going to fade some because of material, but it, as far as getting any tears in it or holes in it, the materials hold up very, very well for us. Cameron, you know, I, I, if I had my druthers, if I'm sitting on a uh, food plot, 
I'm, I'd rather sit in the ladder stand if the weather's nice. I really would. I just enjoy the open air and I, I enjoy being able to see 360. And it's not to say that I don't sit in my fair share of shooting houses over the season, but where it's I really more of an experience. Yeah. Well, I love a shooting house. If I'm going with another person, you know, it gives you some concealment. It gives you the ability to kind of talk. If you, especially if you're, you know, I've taken one of my boys and you know, it, it allows them to move around more and, and yeah, you need a soundproof one. Oh yeah. Yeah. We need, <laughs> we need all kinds of things, uh, in there. We need a snack bar and snacks. And oh yeah. Lots of snacks. multimedia entertainment, uh, center in there. But you know, one of the other reasons I really like to go to a shooting house is if, if, if the weather's bad, you know, if it's raining, if it's really, really cold, uh, how does that material on the buck hut hold up, you know, in the cold, does it give you a, a level of insulation to just to kind of keep you a little bit warmer than say, just, you know, being out in the open air? Yeah, material does a great job of actually keeping the, the warmth and stuff in there. I mean, you can, it does have a fire rating to it. You can use heaters like the heat hog and stuff like that inside the blind. Of course, with any ground blind, the more windows you have open, the colder it's going to flow through there and all. The less wind, the better off you are. If you can just keep the windows up where they're, we can just see out of them and just let them down as you need, just like any shooting house. You're going to be warmer inside there. It does have a like an insulation mat that's on the floor of the butt cut that helps keep all that air and stuff out from coming under the bottom. Also, well, Cameron, the you know the goal today was to have kind of a roundtable discussion. It seems like we end up having those kind of discussions on a on a truck tailgate at the hunting camp as we're getting ready to get out and do our work days, getting ready for the season, and uh, everybody's trying to remember, you know, wh what do we need? What do we need at that spot? What do we need to take down there? What do we need to do? And I hope that what we left everybody with today is number one, focus on the safety uh, as, is paramount. You know, if, if that's all you focus on, everything else is going to be fine. Uh, you can get past forgetting your, your gear rope, but uh, you don't want to fall out of a tree. And uh, we appreciate having you on to kind of point us in the right directions and what we need to think about when we're looking at these tree stands and making sure they're ready to go for the season. And, and also the kind of tree stands we might want to consider if we're in the market or, or we got a new spot we're setting up on this year, but you guys are constantly putting out new products, both on the hunting and the fishing side. If our listeners want to check out your options and, and follow along with you guys and, and, you know, be brought up to date every time y'all come out with something new, what's the best way to do that? Well, the best, best way is to go directly to our website at www.millenniumstands.com. Uh, that is our home site that pretty much covers old man and marine. Uh, from there, you can click on the marine side or old man and be directed to their website and find all the updates, all the new products, all availability on products and all on there. If you want to get us on the social media side, you can find us at Millennium Tree Stands on Facebook and also on Instagram. Cameron, thanks so much for joining us today, and I uh, hope you have a safe and successful season. Guys, I appreciate you having me on. Hope you all have a great season. Thanks, Cameron. Enjoyed it. Butch, I'm never going to let a September go by without talking about tree stand safety, man. I just feel like it's something we just got to reach out and communicate as much as we can, number one, to be safe. And I hope people are thinking about that. I just hope our message rings in their ears when they're out there. It just seems like every year we're behind getting ready for the season oh yeah and always when we get to the camp we're so focused on getting the work done that we get complacent about doing it the way it needs to be done safely and and i'm guilty of that not with tree stands anymore but i'm guilty of it in other ways you know running a tractor if you're not really if it's not really ready to go and sometimes it's not a safety thing it's just you just tear stuff up but 
I'm trying myself to be better about not letting goal of the day get in the way of being safe and for sure in my time because that's none of it's worth anything if somebody gets hurt no doubt if you only have time to trim up and and sure up and make sure one tree stand is safe i mean it's not worth time is time you you can't get any more of that i mean weather's been kind of crappy this year i have to start this process um we are behind weather's been kind of crazy of course blah 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 tractors broke down you know just all kind of stuff like you say seems like every year we're behind the gun um, and there's definitely no need to cut corners whenever your life's in the balance, basically. And that but sounds a little dramatic, but not really. But it's not. I mean, it seems dramatic, like you say, to say it. But the reality is, like, it's it. you can get hurt doing this stuff. And mm-hmm. you can also not get hurt just as easily if you take the time to stay prepared and do what needs to be done. And, uh, yeah, I just hope, guys, as y'all are heading out into the woods this season, uh, Keep that in mind and and don't take any unnecessary risks out there. It's it's too important that you come back out of the woods and there's not a deer out there that's worth it. I promise you. So uh, y'all be be safe out there this season. Make sure you think about all these things when you're getting, getting your tree stand set up. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you. To get the podcast emailed to you each week, just text the word hunting to 773 770 4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list and wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you got a show topic that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Sunland show is brought to you by Southern Seed and Feed. Do you want to provide better nutrients for your deer? Check out Southern Buck. Your deer will love it. Visit their website, southernseedfeed.com, to find the dealer nearest you. And also buy the Hunter's Mate Lowdown Trail Cam Reviewer. The Lowdown High Speed Trail Cam Viewer has flipping fast technology that allows you to view images three times faster on a screen that is 60% bigger than typical 7 inch viewers. Find out more at lowdownviewer.com. And also buy the National Deer Association. You need to have hunting land liability insurance to protect your family's assets. Find the most comprehensive coverage available at DeerAssociation.com and protect yourself today.